listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. As you guys know, I've been uh, writing this book that's coming out soon on uh, speaking in tongues and understanding being baptized in the Holy Ghost. But the more I do, and then also like the more I travel, the more I see the need for supernatural ministry. I mean, and supernatural Christians. What's up, Zach Wilson? We need supernatural ministry. We need supernatural Christians, like more than ever before. The more I'm traveling, the more I'm seeing this. And and when I don't see it, when there's the absence of it, there's, it, there's like a void. It's like, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, have you ever just been to dead church where there's no presence of God? There's no manifestations of the Holy Spirit where there's, you know, it, the Spirit of God's not even welcome to move. Hey, Tyler, Mike LaValle, love you, buddy. Have you ever been in that kind of a, a church or that kind of a service where you're like, man, this is as dry and dead as can be? But not just that, because we're talking about that's church services, that's leadership, you know, whatever. But I'm talking about also, I'm talking about also believers being supernatural people. That's what we need. Hey, Denise, love you guys. Jay, good to have you on. Um, that's what I'm talking about. It's not just... And of course, we should have on fire church services and on fire leaders and, and churches. It starts there. But I mean, today I'm talking about believers, I'm talking about me and you, why we've got to have uh, supernatural lives. Like we have to live in the supernatural. We need to see on a regular basis the manifestations of Christ alive in our own personal lives, in our homes, on our jobs. You know, when it, you know, whatever we're doing, wherever we're going. And today I want to give you five reasons from the Bible why you must have a supernatural life as a believer. Um, it's very important. I mean, this is so supernatural, this Christianity we've been given by Jesus. Um, but now it's our own responsibility to live in the supernatural, which many believers literally just refuse to do. And... Leaders, I believe, uh, are to blame many times. What's up, Charlie? Um, you know, leadership many times is to blame. There are many leaders across our nation who are dis, they're not interested. They're literally very disinterested in the, in the power of God. And I dealt with that yesterday. If you missed the broadcast yesterday, I dealt with that very thought that, um, Paul prophesied that this would take place. And of course, I'll mention it briefly today because we have to look at it to see this whole picture. But do me a favor while you're watching and uh, share the broadcast today with somebody because this is a message that I want to get out. I want people to hear this. Uh, it's so extremely vital that people do because we're living in the final moments of time and it's more it's more vital than it's ever been that we accomplish our purpose, what God's called us to do, that we see souls saved. You know, think about this. If Jesus said 2,000 years ago that the harvest is white and ready for the reaping, how much more now do you think the harvest is ready to be reaped and people are ready to be brought into the kingdom? So that's why I want to tell you this today. Very important broadcast, and I want you to... Um, I definitely want you to take a minute to share it. This is going to be, uh, this is going to be something that I, I think that you need to write down, keep in your spirit, and meditate on, because you and I are both called to live supernatural lives. And so, I want to show you five things from the Bible, from the Word of God, that literally will help you. And um, and then I want you to write them down in the comments. I want you to put them uh, in your Bible. Mark these verses, and don't ever forget this stuff. But Let's jump into this because I want, I, I know five's a lot to get out in the broadcast. Most of the time I don't even finish it, but I want to. Um, <laughs> I want to give you all five of these today. Number one, hey Ruth, if you're watching, number one, put it in the comments. 
a supernatural life was the expectation of Jesus for you and me. So you could just put number one, Jesus expectation. Number one, Jesus expectation. It was, without question, the expectation of our Lord for every person that followed him to have a supernatural life and to walk in supernatural power, without question. And we can see that when we read the Gospel of John, chapter 14, uh, and verse 12, where Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these will you do, because I'm going to be with my Father in heaven. So let's break that down real quick. He said, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these will you do, because I'm going to be with my Father in heaven. Why did he say, because I'm going to be with my Father in heaven? The reason he explained it to us, when his disciples were trying to keep him here on the earth, he said, no, no, I have to go. I have to leave so that I, when I go, I will pray to the Father and he will send you another comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. That's John chapter 14 and verse number 12, Caleb. John 14, 12. So understand, he, the disciples were trying to keep him here to set up some kind of a natural kingdom. And he said, no, I have to go. I have to leave. What's up, Letty? He said, I have to leave so that I can ask the Father <clears throat> and he'll send you another comforter. And that's the Holy Ghost. He did that on the day of Pentecost. And what did he say that they would receive on the day of Pentecost? He said, you shall receive power, power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So I want you to think about that that the number one desire of Christ for his children, his followers, obviously God's number one desire is that people be saved. But after you're saved, look at Jesus' expectation. You'll receive power when you receive the Holy Ghost, and then you'll be my witnesses. And the, the, the works that I do, you will do also. And greater works than these shall you do. So understand this. It's very, very important Um that you know this, Jesus looked at all of his children, all of his followers. This was his desire. I'm making this point because I don't ever want you to think that this was Jesus' desire for only his 12 disciples. Because people will try to tell you that. Well, when he was talking about that, you know, that was really just for the apostles of the Lamb. That was really just for the 12 you know, well, if that's true, if that really is true, how do you explain the 70 that went out as he sent them out and the 70 came back and said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us. And that's when Je that was the time when Jesus said, uh, don't rejoice that demons are subject unto you, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So if it was only for his 12 then what business, and I mean, his 12 were included in the 70, but what business did the 70 have doing supernatural things if it was only reserved, as some say, for his 12 apostles or what they call the apostles of the Lamb? You know, because there are people that are cessationists that say, well, you know, when the last apostle died, these things stopped or they ceased. So, you know, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, speaking in tongues, you know, these people are called cessationists. They believe that these things cease. They're no longer um, happening. Well, if they were only for the 12 apostles, what business did the 70 have doing the works of God? And then if you go back and study church history, guess what? They were still seeing signs, wonders, and miracles after the last apostle died. And I mentioned this yesterday. If you go back and if you, um, if you look at the writings of Irenaeus, Polycarp, who was a disciple of John the Revelator, they were recording in their writings, we're still seeing signs and wonders and miracles. Well, the reason is, is that Jesus didn't have an expiration date uh, while we're here on this earth for signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, 
1 Corinthians does say there will come a time when these things will cease, but that's when we get to heaven. You won't need miracles in heaven. You won't need tongues and interpretation in heaven. You won't need prophecy in heaven. So there will come a time when these things will cease, but that's not now, and it definitely was not in the first century. No, these things are still moving, still working, still happening today, and they are Jesus' expectation for every one of his disciples, followers, the believers. That's me and you. And so uh, the, the verse applies to us in context, the works that I do, you will do also. It's not just for the 12 apostles. It's for every believer who believes on his name. How do I know this? Well, this is number two, and I'm going to give you number two. It's not just Jesus' expectation, which is number one, but number two, it is commanded to every believer. You see that? A supernatural life is commanded to every believer. That's number two. Put it in the comments. Put it in your notes. The number two reason I need to live a supernatural life, I'm commanded to live a supernatural life. I'm commanded to. Well, where in the world did they command us to be supernatural? If you read the Great Commission, we call it the Great Great Commission, Mark chapter 16, and you come to the end of that chapter, and the Bible says in the verse 15, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, Those that believe and are baptized will be saved. Those that don't believe will be damned. And watch this. These signs shall follow them that believe. Now, I want to stop right there because I want to show you something that maybe you've never seen before about this passage. I always thought when I was growing up and and reading the Bible and listening to preaching about the Bible, I always thought that that very scripture was only talking to the apostles. I thought it was saying that the apostles, these signs will follow the apostles. In context, that is not what this verse is saying. It is saying that the believers that already are believers should go out and preach the gospel to every creature. Now watch this. Those that believe and are baptized will be saved and these signs will follow them that believe. So do you see what it's talking about? It's actually the baby Christians who get saved and are baptized and believed and believe that will have signs following them. You ever see that? Think about that for a minute. And they that believe and are baptized will be saved and these signs will follow them that believe. It's actually talking about the new Christians that are coming into the kingdom that will have signs following them. Isn't that interesting? And so uh, then it begins to tell us they'll lay their hands on the sick. They shall recover. Well, this is prophecy. This is prophecy. Prophesying what will happen with new uh, believers that are getting saved. And so as I've taught in another, I've taught this. And in fact, if you watched online when I was teaching in Tomball, Texas recently, I taught on the gifts of the spirit. And one of the things I taught from the book of 1 Corinthians is you don't have to be spiritually mature in order to operate in the gifts of the spirit. How do I know that? Because the apostle Paul, he told the church in Corinth, you guys are babies, infants in Christ. I have to feed you with milk. I can't even give you meat. So in one sense, he's correcting and rebuking them for spiritual immaturity. But what does he also say to them in the exact same letter? He says, you have an abundance of gifts. He tells them, you don't, you have an abundance of knowledge, revelation, utterance. You come behind in no gift. He's saying they don't lack any gift of the spirit. And then he, he begins to speak to them in the 14th chapter about the fact that They've got so many gifts of the Spirit in operation in their church that it's causing disorder because everybody is just in a chaotic way trying to manifest the power of God. They've not had teaching. They've not had order. So Paul just gives them instruction. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't tell them to stop manifesting the gifts in the services. He says, just use order 
when you do so that people aren't confused and so that the church can be built up. And so what does he do? He says, don't stop. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't stop the manifestations. He said, just use some order. But notice they were, he even called them in the same letter, babies and infants in Christ. But he also told them, you've got an abundance of gifts in manifestation. That, that should be encouraging to you because it does not matter what level of Christianity that you are currently, uh, at which you're currently living because you don't have to be a Christian for 30 years. You know, you don't have to be one of the senior saints or somebody that taught Sunday school or whatever in order to live a supernatural life and to see God moving in your life and have see signs and wonders and miracles. No, in fact, the Bible tells us it would be the baby Christians. It would be the new believers that would have these signs and wonders working and we're commanded. We're commanded by God. How are we commanded by God? Well, uh, what does the Bible say we'll do? They'll lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll cast out devils. You know, they'll raise the dead. You read the Great Commission. But in the same way, we understand that even when the Christians in the early church were experiencing persecution, and then they started getting dispersed from Jerusalem because of that persecution, they started ending up in places all over the world. Like, for example, Philip, who went down to Samaria. The Bible says he found himself in Samaria because he got basically scattered out of Jerusalem because of persecution. And he says, well, while I'm here, I might as well preach Christ unto them. And in Acts chapter 8, Philip, just a believer that's scattered from Jerusalem, starts preaching Jesus in the middle of Samaria. And signs and wonders and miracles start happening to the point where the whole city believes in what he's preaching. And they all get converted and baptized. Then what happens? Peter and John come down from Jerusalem and start laying hands on everybody. And they're all filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. All of them. So do you see what's happening even in Philip's circumstance? What's happening even with him is uh, he's a believer at that point that's, that's there to just, and he starts preaching Christ. But then all of those new believers, what's the first thing that happens? First thing that happens is they have the apostles come from Jerusalem to lay their hands upon the new believers, and they are then filled with the Holy Ghost. Every one of them, not some of them, every one of them. Simon the sorcerer saw it, recognized what was going on, and, and tried to buy the power of God. So notice, this was the pattern. Get saved, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and then start having a supernatural life. Start doing what Jesus expected us and commanded us to do. So number one, it's the expectation of Jesus. But number two, he commanded it. Not just expected it. He said, well, I hope some of them catch this. No, he commanded every one of us to activate the supernatural power that's resident on the inside of our physical bodies. That's why I'm always encouraging people. Always. Don't forget, just like Paul said, don't forget, inside your body is the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. You know, I, I saw a quote last night that I thought was awesome. You guys can put it in the comments. But man, it, it like, it stirred me up. And this was the quote. Christianity is the only religion where people's God comes down and lives in their body. <laughs> Man, that's powerful. Christianity is the only religion where the God the people serve comes and lives in their body. That's the only one. Christianity is the only one. Uh, Tyler asked the question, what do you do when you are in a meeting where it seems to be a struggle to get the spirit moving or get people into the spirit. Well, and Tyler, I'm guessing that um, you're referring to a believer's meeting. So here's what I would say to you, Tyler. Number one, if it's all mostly believers in that meeting, 
I would just stop for a minute and have everybody begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. First of all, it stirs up your faith, the Bible says, as you know, Tyler. And it also brings encouragement or, or edification into every believer. And so I would just have everybody uh, stop for a moment and just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. If it's not quite a believer's meeting, uh, one of the things that may be happening because of that, you might be there might be a, a, a number of unbelievers in the room that need to be saved. And so the, the move of the Spirit is there for conviction to come upon their hearts. And it's not going to be like a Holy Ghost meeting of believers. It's going to be kind of a, one of those types of meetings where it's it's going to be people who are being saved. Thank you, baby. People are being saved, um, and, and it's a, an evangelistic kind of an outreach. Those have been the two things that I've seen. And, of course, we as leaders have to prepare ourselves for supernatural ministry uh, with fasting and prayer, you know, setting ourselves apart, the study of the word, that kind of a thing. So I would say one of those two things is true. Either, either get that atmosphere uh, activated in the Holy Ghost by having the believers there pray in the spirit, and then also sense in your spirit. It may be, uh, see, that's the thing, Rose, you can't, and that's why I gave number two, is you might be feeling, what you may be feeling, Tyler, and I've had this multiple times, uh, you may be feeling the unsaved that are in the room that really need salvation because obviously someone who is unsaved is not going to be you know, waiting on a move of the spirit or, you know what I mean? It's not the same as a believer's meeting. So be sensitive to that because it may be that you've got a room that's got a good number of unbelievers that are being convicted by the Holy Spirit to come into the kingdom. And that's a great question. So number one, we're expected by Christ to have a supernatural life. Number two, we're commanded by Christ to have a supernatural life. And of course I said, I love that quote. Christianity is the only religion where the God they serve comes and li lives in their bodies. And the Bible says that is the case, that we our body is the temple uh, of the Holy Ghost. He lives in us, dwells in us, makes his home in us, quickens our mortal bodies. But number three, I want you to see this, and this is an important one. That was my beautiful wife who was bringing in my Starbucks. Mm-hmm. This is one I wanted you to see because we were there yesterday, but I want to make a different point with it. Um, the third reason why you need to have a supernatural life is because it keeps you from falling away. Now think about this. It keeps you from two things. Number one, the, your love or the, your heart growing cold and falling away from the faith. But look at what we read yesterday, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul speaking to his son in the gospel, Timothy. And you notice what he said, and I read it to you, in the last days, and he lists all the things that will happen with people, that they'll be lovers of self, lovers of money. By the way, if you're taking notes, this is it, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. They'll be heartless, unappeasable, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but doing what? Denying the power. That's huge. That's a prophecy. They will have a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. Notice the, the, the instruction after that, avoid such people. So Paul said, these are people that are not worthy of your time. This is Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, saying these things. These are people not worthy of your time. Don't fellowship with them. Avoid them at all costs. Think about that. You got believers that have a form of godliness. They deny the power of God. Avoid such people. And then catch this. Matthew 24, in fact, we can go there and read it. Matthew, go, to, go with me to Matthew 24, and this is, um, this is the prophecy of Christ 
about the last days. And um, let me just read to you what he says. Listen to this. Verse 5, Matthew 24, 5. Many will come in my name saying that I'm the Christ and they'll lead many astray. And you'll not, and you'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Look at this. Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Look at this. And then many will fall away. That's right. And betray one another and hate one another. They'll fall away. We're talking about believers here. Those that believed on his name will fall away. Look at this. Um, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now hold on a second. Hold on a second. Notice that last verse there, verse 12. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will will grow cold. What's happening right now in America? Lawlessness is increasing. And because lawlessness is increasing, what does the Bible say? The love of many will grow cold. Well, if you're a sinner, you don't have hot love for God. You're not on fire if, if you've got that. So understand, it's talking about believers here that because lawlessness increased, one thing that I am blown away by right now is that this antichrist spirit and agenda that's alive and at work in the world right now is causing Christians to divide themselves from other Christians. Have you seen it? I mean, have you seen it happening? The lawlessness that's in the world, the culture, what's going on in government, culture, whatever. It's causing Christians to divide themselves from other Christians. And ultimately, like, let me tell you something. If you're a minister, if you're a pastor of a church and you leave your church closed and then you go out and get involved in marches and protests and everything else, that's a major problem that you're not willing to lead your sheep, but you also think it's absolutely fine. Well, we're keeping the church closed, you know, for safety purposes. Then you go out in the midst of protest, shoulder to shoulder with people, march and protest, and that's cool. There's a problem. And it, you know what the problem is? It's that lawlessness is increasing and the love of many is growing cold, just like Jesus prophesied. They don't see the importance and the the... They don't see why it's so vital that we gather together, that we hear the word together, that we carry out. You know, people are people are funny because they're so devoid of knowledge that they don't even understand why we need to gather together as believers. Christians don't. Like, well, we could just gather. You know, I heard one guy saying, he's like, I think we may have to redefine what our gatherings are. Now we might be, you know, gathering online, maybe just the new new gathering. But there are many things you cannot do that we're commanded to do if you're gathering online. Let me give you an example. You can't baptize people online. You can't administer communion, the elements of the church, if you're online. You can't lay hands on the sick if you're online. You get that. I'm sure you do. But understand, people don't think it's important that we gather together. But we have leaders that are shutting their churches down and keeping them shut down, but at the same time, going out into the streets and protesting, marching, and whatever. You know, we have the right to do that. We have the freedom to do that. And if you want to do that, you can do it. But the problem is this, doing that instead of actually Having church as a leader, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. And there's churches all over America that have already announced they will not reopen 
until maybe the first quarter of 2021. You've got a problem. Lawlessness is increasing and the love of many is growing cold, just like Jesus prophesied. It's happening right now. And that's why I'm thankful for you and for those that are standing up and are not ashamed to stay and say, you know what? That's why people gave me a hard time when I applauded the actions of Dr. John MacArthur in California. Well, he's not Pentecostal. He doesn't believe in women preachers. He doesn't believe in the Holy Ghost. Yeah, but where are all the preachers in California? And I'm not talking about outdoor meetings. Why should the government, you know, I had somebody tell me recently, well, there are Pentecostal people, you know, holding big outdoor meetings and baptizing people in the ocean, all this stuff. That's great. And that is wonderful. And that's needed. But why should the government be able to tell us as believers when we can gather together and when we can't, when we can be in our buildings and when we can't? Foolishness. But people are laying right out. Where are the Holy Ghost people? Here's a dude that doesn't even believe in the Holy Ghost uh, baptism or, or signs, wonders, and miracles or any of that, and he's willing to stand up. And yes, I applauded him. Do I agree with his theology? No, but I agree with his boldness. I agree with his the actions he took to stand up because people don't understand. It's not some right given to us by the government that we can gather together as believers. It is a command from God to gather together, and it takes supernatural ministry to see these things happen, to lay your hands on the sick and watch them recover, to cast out devils, you know, all these different things. It takes supernatural power and ministry. And you're a supernatural person. And see, it's commanded by God, but also notice this, as we live in this way, it keeps us from being those people whose hearts grow cold and the people that Paul warned about and said, avoid such people. They have a a form of godliness, but they deny his power. I'm not going to be that person. You're not going to be that person. We're the remnant. We're the remnant. We're the ones that will never grow cold. I know it's Bible prophecy. I know that that it's, it's written in scripture. I'm just saying it won't be me. It doesn't say the hearts of everybody will grow cold. It says the hearts of many, not everybody. And so I'm de- what I'm declaring over you and over me, it won't be us. It's not going to be you. It's not going to be me. We're going to be the remnant. We're going to be the on fire ones. We're going to be the supernatural ones. We're going to be the ones that when uh, we get to heaven, the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's going to be us. And so I want you to catch that with me is that number three is it keeps us in a place that we won't fall away, that will not be Uh, growing cold, or ever get to the place where we have a form of godliness, but deny his power. We're not going to be. In fact, I know that's you. I want you to put it in the comments and say, I will not grow cold. That's what I want you to comment right now. I will not grow cold. That's so important in 2020. I will not grow cold. That's it, Mike. It won't be us. I will not grow cold. In Jesus' name, I will be supernatural. I will be on fire. I will see signs, wonders, and miracles. I will not grow cold. In the mighty name that's above every name, I will not grow cold. I'll not fall away. I'll not be one of those people that Paul had to warn the church about. Don't hang with these people. Avoid these people. I'm not going to be that person, man. You're not going to find me. I mean, I laugh at the thought. I mean, think about that. I laugh at the thought of being one of those people. I couldn't be if I wanted to. There's such a burning, and I'm sure you're like that too. There's such a burning in my spirit to see God move. I laugh at the thought of being one of those people that has a form of godliness and denies the power. I can't even imagine myself as a dead religious Christian. I can't at all. I laugh at the thought, and I'm sure you laugh at the thought of being satisfied with going to some church that's dead as three in the morning, no salvations, no baptisms in the Holy Ghost, no signs, wonders, and miracles, no healing, no laying hands on the sick. I'm sure you laugh at that. 
You can't imagine yourself as that kind of a Christian either. And so we keep ourselves. We keep ourselves. Can I give you a secret? I want to give you a secret about the life of Jesus real quick in between before I give you these last two. When we read that verse that I read at the beginning of this broadcast, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these. Uh, and I know the context that Jesus was teaching, but I want to I show you something because there is a principle in the Gospels that says the disciple is never greater than the master. The disciple is never greater than the master. So when Jesus said the works that I do, you will do also, we will never be able to do what he did if we don't have the dedication that he had. Isn't it interesting that uh, Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do also? And everybody immediately thinks healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. That's the works he's talking about. But what if we couldn't do those things without his other works, his works of dedication? What if it also means his works of prayer life, study, fasting, fellowship with the Father? Because we know what he did in his life, don't we? He was a man of prayer. He was a man of fasting. He was a man of study. And so because we'll never be greater than Jesus, if Jesus had to pray and fast and study and, and be in the presence of God to see these things happen, won't we? Of course we will. Think of it. If they've always, we've always looked at that verse, the works that I do, you'll do also and greater works. But if we're going to do those works, we have to do his dedication works. We have to be people of prayer, people of fasting, people of study, people of praise, people of giving, because it keeps us in the presence of God. It keeps us on fire. Let me just encourage you with this, but because uh, this is so this is so powerful. Anybody that has shaken their generation, their world, and I mean internationally or full nations, have been people of prayer and fasting. Doesn't matter who you talk about. Doesn't matter if, who you talk about. Go back through history. Reinhard Bonnke, you know, T.L. Osborne, A.A. Allen, uh, Dr. Cho. You can, name, you can keep naming Pastor Attaboye, Bishop Oyedepo. Um, I mean, you can go through and name every name. Kenneth Hagin. These were all people of prayer and fasting. These are people that understood if I want the works of Jesus, I have to have the dedication of Jesus. And so what they did is that they did both. They worked, did the works of dedication and the works of the supernatural. And it keeps you in a supernatural place. Remember this. My dedication gets me to the place of manifestation. That's something I want you to write down. My dedication takes me to manifestation. My dedication takes me to manifestation. Hallelujah. My dedication takes me to manifestation. Put it in the comments. Put it in your notes. Never forget that. Never forget that. My dedication takes me to manifestation. And so if we want to be those that never grow cold, if we want to be those that uh, never fall away, catch this. We're going to have to be people that never stop dedicating to the kingdom. Never stop dedicating ourselves to prayer, the study of the word, fasting, giving, praising, worshiping, thanksgiving. We have to be those people. My dedication takes me to manifestation. And that's the, that's the truth. That is the absolute truth. That's, ex that's exactly it. Mike said, if you, wanna, if you want what they have, you got to do what they do. If you want what they have, You've got to do what they do. I totally agree. It's dedication that takes you to manifestation. God wants to use people, but people don't want to be used by God. And I know that's a sad thing, but I'll say that again. God wants to use people, but people don't want to be used by God. They say they do, but you know, the proof is in the pudding. If people want to be used by God, they'll dedicate themselves to God. But that ensures, doesn't it, that we'll never grow cold that will never fall away, that will never be people with a form of godliness, 
that denies the power. I'll never deny the power of God. I'll never become religious. Never. 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 <laughs> it's like my grandfather. He pastored 62 years and they said to him, because he was very sharp, he could have done anything, could have had his own businesses, could, he could have he'd been successful, whatever he did. Anything he did. He, they asked him one time, they said, Brother Shuttlesworth, what would you be if you weren't a Pentecostal preacher? He said, I'd be ashamed, <laughs> which is a good answer because he knew his calling, knew his purpose, but he was not going to lay down the power of Pentecostal manifestation. Refused to, refused to, but look what it's produced in his family. Every one of his sons is operating in the supernatural. Every one of his grandchildren operating in the supernatural. Now his great-grandchildren are rising up and, and operating in the supernatural. Why? Dedication brings manifestation. And it keeps us from that place of falling away. Now, let me, let me talk to you about this because it makes sense here. Number four, when we as believers live in this supernatural lifestyle, make it, a, make it normal for us. Notice what happens as I just mentioned, the next generation sees it and rises up in it. That's so vital. So for number four, you can put touch the next gen, touch the next gen. That is number four, because notice this as parents, as leaders, the Lord expects us to raise up the next generation in godliness and in power. No question. The Lord expects us to raise up the next generation in godliness and in power. One of the saddest things you'll read in the Bible is when you go to the Old Testament where God was bringing them into the promised land. And the Bible says that as they were coming into the promised land, God gave them an instruction. He said, when you go in there, don't intermarry with the pagans. Don't let us as godly people intermarry with the pagans. He said, tear down their altars, tear down their statues, tear down their temples, and do not intermarry with them. Well, the people of God did not listen. They didn't tear down the altars, the statues, the temples, and they married, they intermarried with the pagans. And you know what the Bible says? Now, this is, this is crazy. It says, and the next generation rose up who did not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, hold on a second. Not that they didn't serve him. They didn't know him. And it didn't take 10 generations to, to get it all out of the system. It didn't take four generations. It took one generation to lose, not just serving God, even knowing who he is. Think about that. And we know what we're commanded to do, that we are called to raise up the next generation in power and authority with impartation. I love it because, you know, of course, we have the, the book of Proverbs. And one of the Proverbs that I'll quote often is the, the proverb that says, that if we'll train our children up in the way they should go, then when they're old, they will not depart from it. When we're when they're old, they will not depart. So there is a raising up of the next generation. There's a teaching, there's a training in godliness, but that also includes training in the supernatural. I love what Paul noticed about Timothy. He noticed that he was three generations deep in faith. You ever see that? Paul said, I've seen that, that faith that's in you. It started in your grandmother, continued in your mother, and now I am persuaded it is in you. Paul said that to Timothy and knew it and noticed it that here's a man that's not gotten where he's gotten on his own. It started in his grandmother. She had faith. Jumped into his mother. She's got faith. And now it's in him, Timothy. He's now got faith. Well, what happened there? There's a raising up. There's a raising up of the next generation in faith. 
They only know what you teach them. Think about that. They're watching you. They're receiving from you like sponges. They only know what you teach them. And so if we're going to teach them church isn't really that important, guess what they're going to grow up believing? It's not really that important whether or not I go to church. If we teach them that church is something we do when we have free time, guess what they're going to think? Well, you know, uh, it's not really... It's not really that important if we, you know, if there's other things to do, if we're on vacation or if there's, if we can get the jet skis out or if we got travel baseball or, you know, it's not, we'll get to church when we get back. If you raise them that way, that's how they'll live. That's how they'll live. If you teach them drinking's not a big deal, they'll drink. If you te- teach them it's all right to not be faithful in relationships, they'll not be faithful in relationships. They're eating it up from you. But on the other side of the coin, if you teach them that if if they feel that their body's being attacked with sickness and disease, to seek out lay have somebody lay hands on them and pray in faith, my kids, I've already got the them into that place where they understand now. You know, if they're not feeling well, they don't come to me and say, "Daddy, can I have a Tylenol? Daddy, can I have an Advil?" You know what they say? "Daddy, pray for me." "Mommy, pray for me." "Pray for me." Um, I, one of the funniest ones, Teddy was. Teddy was in the car and he said, I didn't feel good. Um, and, and, and Carolyn said, lift your hands. And she prayed, prayed for him. And, she, and he, he said, okay, he, mommy, did it work? And she said, yep, you're healed. He said, yes, I'm healed. You know, he's like a little boy, three, three years old. Mommy, did it work? Am I healed? You're healed. Yes, I'm healed. He received it. You're teaching them to receive by faith, to expect by faith. And see, when we have supernatural lives, that's why I'm not talking. I'm not talking about preachers. Look at Denise. She said, "My kids still call and ask us to pray with them." You know what that is? Raising them up in the supernatural, raising them up in the supernatural. So, what is it? What is it? It is this: when they see we live supernatural lives and we expect supernatural things that we have a supernatural understanding of Christianity, guess how they're going to be raised up? In the same way. And this is why I believe in that verse of Proverbs where the Bible says, if you'll train them up in the way they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart. The reason that I believe in that is because, and I'm not just talking about, see, people read that and like, see, that's why it's important we go to Sunday school. No, it's not why it's important why we go to Sunday school. It's important that the Parents train the children in godliness, in the supernatural, prayer, everything. Because what you get for an hour out of the week in a Sunday school is not going to change your life. It should be there. It should be there. It assists you. But parents have a responsibility to train those children in the supernatural lifestyle of Christianity. No question. It's like I had a... um, a mom, when I was a youth pastor, came into me to uh, to the office of the church to read me the riot act because I guess her daughter had started getting into problems and doing this. And she came in with an attitude. She was like, now you explain to me how my daughter comes to your youth group every single week and you're preaching to her and she's out here doing crazy stuff at school. I said, hold, hold on right there and let me explain something to you. There are 168 hours in a week. I get your daughter for one of those hours. You have her for the rest and then also public school. I said, so if there's a problem, where do you think the problem is stemming from? From what she's getting from one hour here in the youth group or what she's getting from 167 hours at public school in your house? And by the end, you know, she understood she was crying. She said, pray with me for my daughter and she needs a miracle. But understand, it has nothing to do with what you caught for one hour. It should be there. We should be faithful. But your life is going to be defined by what you do in the 167 hours, not in the one. And of course, it's it's more than one if you're going to church. But you understand what I'm talking about is that we are responsible to raise up the next generation of Holy Ghost believers. My children will be supernatural Christians. They're not going to be religious, dead Christians that fall away by the time they're 18 years old. That decide, well, I don't really think going to church is important and I'm not going to go anymore. That ain't never going to happen. 
Not with my kids. Not with your kids. We will have supernatural children. We will have supernatural families that love the Lord with all their hearts, that serve the Lord with all their hearts, that stand on the word, that believe God's word is inerrant, that it's uh, not able to be broken. That's that's exactly the kind of children we're going to have. Blessed children, holy children, godly children, wise children. That's the kind of kids we're going to raise up. The next generation of supernatural leaders. And we're responsible to do that. And when we live a supernatural Christianity, see, they just, they look at it and consider it to be normal. I remember like when I first got outside of my parents' influence and saw people that weren't supernatural Christians and thought to myself, what in the world is this? What is this? I'm not even familiar with it. These people don't believe, why are they sick? You know, why, why if they're sick, are they not asking for somebody to lay hands on them? Why, why is it? I mean, literally, I started thinking like this. I was like, what in the world is going on? What, what's going on? Why are these people living like this if they're Christians? You know, I couldn't even fathom it. I mean, remember that. I couldn't even fathom it. I was trying to figure out how would you, how do you live this way if you're a Christian? Couldn't fathom it. Because I was raised to understand supernatural Christianity. It's what I expect. It's what I do. It's what you do. It's what you expect. And your children will too. And that's our desire, to raise up the next generation in supernatural power. Let me give you number five. The number, the fifth reason that we live supernatural lives is this. It, and this is a big one. That's why I left it for number five. It is proof that Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Catch that with me. Number five. It is proof that Jesus is alive. Put it in the comments, put it in your notes, understand why it's so supernatural or why it's so important to live a supernatural life. It is proof that Jesus is alive. Now, when Jesus was alive, he used it as the proof that he was the Messiah. When John's disciples came to him and said, are you really the one or are we waiting for somebody else? He said, go back and tell John the things that you've seen and heard. You know, and he said, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the poor of the gospel preached unto them. He pointed at his miracles as the proof that he was the Messiah. After he was resurrected and went into heaven, the apostles used signs and wonders and miracles as the proof that he was resurrected and alive and seated on the throne. And every one of us are the same, that we are showing, because there's no other God that can do these things. Muslims cannot pray like we pray. Buddhists cannot pray like we pray. Hindus cannot pray like we pray. New Age philosophy, those people can't pray like we pray. The Baha'i religion, they can't pray like we pray. Why? Because everything they're serving is dead and nothing's real. Muslims can't have miracles because the God that they believe in is not alive. Hindus can't have what we have because whatever one of the 10,000 gods they serve is not alive, dead, demon spirits, but they can't do what Jesus does. And so there is no other religion that can experience these things that we experience because there's no other religion that operates in supernatural power. I don't mean demonic manifestations. I mean healing the sick. I mean raising the dead. I mean casting out devils. I mean the blessing of God. This is reserved for Christianity. How do I know it's reserved? Because Jesus would never have pointed at those miracles as the proof he was the Messiah if other religions could duplicate those miracles. It would make no sense. It would make no sense at all. Because if the devil or false religions could duplicate the miracles Jesus was doing, then he had no right to use them as the proof he was Messiah. Because any witch or wizard or warlock who would do the same miracles Jesus did, because they know I'm the Messiah, look at my miracles. No, I'm the Messiah, look at my miracles. But they can't. Only 
Jesus and then his apostles and now us can walk in that power because he's given us the Holy Spirit. And so it's so vital to understand that when we live supernatural lifestyles, a supernatural Christianity, what does it do? It is the proof that Jesus is alive. That's why, now I'm going to give you this and then before I pray for you. And then I want you to watch. My father's on today with my cousin, Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I want you to jump over to that broadcast when we're done here. But I want you to hear this. Paul the Apostle said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, I did not come to you with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You got to look that up and you got to mark it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, not in the wisdom of men, in the power of God. Paul knew it. He said, that's why I don't just come with nice words or a great message. I come in the demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost so that your faith will rest in the power of God, not the wisdom of men. That's what I'm preaching today is that when we live supernatural lifestyles and we live in supernatural Christianity, guess what happens? It, it causes people's faith to rest in the power of God. Jesus is alive, not in the wisdom of men. You can't debate somebody into the kingdom of God. You can't argue somebody into heaven. It doesn't work that way. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. And then as we preach, the Holy Spirit convicts the hearts of men, pulls them into the kingdom. And then the Holy Ghost is the next. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is the next priority for every believer. And it sets us in position to have supernatural lives see signs and wonders and miracles. It's your story. It's my story. We're going to see it by the power of God. And we're going to see the greatest, some of the greatest manifestations of power that we've ever seen in the last five months of this year. What do we keep on confessing? Violent increase, expedited favor. Violent increase, expedited favor. So important to understand that's what God's getting ready to do. We're going to finish this year laughing, shouting, dancing. Look back at December 31st at how much God did in five months. He'll do more in five months than you've seen happen in 12 months. That's how good our God is. I want you to get ready. The best days are ahead in Jesus' name. And we're called to have supernatural lives. And I'm believing with you. Now, I want to pray for you here at the end of this broadcast because I'm telling you, we're getting ready to launch into a new level of supernatural manifestation. Doors are going to open to you. Things are going to begin to happen that you've been praying for, answered prayer. We're going to start seeing people save that we've been believing God to save. We're going to start seeing children come back into the kingdom, husbands and wives, sisters and brothers. I'm just telling you, get ready for the best days that you've ever seen in your life. Don't put your eyes on what's going on in government or in the world or in the culture. Keep your eyes on the word. Keep your eyes on the power of the spirit and watch as God blesses you abundantly. But let me pray for everybody that's listening or watching. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray now for every one of your precious people. I ask you today, from this day forward, let the doors swing open wide. Let the opportunities quickly come. I ask you today, in Jesus' name, to fill us fresh with your Holy Spirit and let this power of the Holy Ghost begin to manifest in our lives and let our children see the goodness of God. Let our children see signs and wonders and miracles. Let our children be divinely protected from every evil thing that the enemy has launched into this world to destroy this generation. In the mighty name of Jesus, we declare that we will see victory in every area of our lives in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And God, you'll get all the glory for every single thing that happens 
happens because you're the only one who can make these things happen. Promotion doesn't come from men. It always comes from the Lord. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness, your mercy, your grace. We expect quick turnarounds. I pray for every person today that's battling sickness and disease. I take authority over that attack against your body and I lose healing virtue into you now. Be healed in the mighty name of Jesus. For those that are battling in their mind with depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts, be free today in the mighty name of Jesus. I take authority over depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal thoughts, that murderous spirit that wants to kill this generation. And I command you to leave today. I lose peace and joy in Jesus' wonderful name. Lord, for those believing for loved ones to be saved, convict the hearts of those loved ones. Bring them into the kingdom in the wonderful name of Jesus. We thank you for it. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' wonderful name. And if you believe it, throw some fire into the comments and shout aloud amen wherever you are if you believe it. And then let me ask you, to do me a favor today. I want you, those of you that are watching, to pray. I want you to pray about joining me and joining Carolyn in partnership in this ministry. The best things that have ever happened are happening now. And you're a part of that. As we're touching a generation with the gospel, we are thankful for every person God attaches to this ministry. And I want you to pray and ask the Lord and say, Lord, how can I stand with Ted and Carolyn as they're touching this generation with the power of your spirit. What can I do? You might even think that what you can do is insignificant. I'm telling you it's not. It's not insignificant. You may say, well, I can't do something that's extremely large right now. But here's the question. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what can I do even on a monthly basis? What can I do on a monthly basis that would attach me to this ministry that would assist in bringing in souls, seeing signs, wonders, and miracles. And then the, here's the thing. You do what you can do. You do what the Holy Spirit asks you to do, and he'll bless you for doing it. And you'll see increase come. We've seen people that started out at $10 a month sewing as partners, and then the, and God continued to bless them, and they jumped up to $20 and $40 a month and $50, out $85 and into $100 a month. We've seen people jump up to $500 a month, and people are sewing $750 a month. Why? God's just blessed them. But what's happening is they're a blessing to the kingdom. You're a blessing to the kingdom. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. Thank you, Jackie, for sowing that seed. For those of you that would uh, pray and ask the Lord, how can I partner with Ted and Carolyn? How can I stand with them before Jesus comes and before time runs out? Because time is short. What you can do after you pray and the Lord speaks to you is you can go to miracleword.com. And right there, whether you're on the give page or the partner page, you can set up an account and you can sow and set up a monthly seed that would, and you can always with your account, you can adjust the frequency, you can adjust the amount as God blesses you, but do something monthly. What is it that you feel, the value that you feel in this ministry that you could stand with us? Whatever it might be, I encourage you to do that today and watch as God blesses you. We want to bless you with a gift this month for everybody that's sowing. And if you'd like to receive it, uh, everybody that's partnering with us at $85 or more this month, we want to send you a gift. But here's what you've got to do to receive that gift. Go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and fill out that form. And uh, as you do, we'll know where to send your gift and which avenue you use to give. If you're in the United States, you can use Cash App or Venmo. Our username is MWGive. If you'd like to use PayPal, that's available all over the world. You can use info at MiracleWord.com. And then, of course, the easiest way is to just go to MiracleWord.com and sow right there on the website and set up your monthly seed. And we say thanks. For doing it. We love you guys so very much. Listen, Carolyn's new book is out and available. It is selling out. It's literally selling out. Uh, every place we're going, it's selling out. And there's no more copies left. All the pre-orders have gone out. People keep ordering every day. It's selling out. If you want to get your copy, quickly go to shop.miracleword.com or amazon.com and place your order for lines. 40-day devotional. Confessions that create boundaries your enemy cannot cross. Miracle Word. Dot com Easiest place to get it. But also, my new book, Further Faster, is selling everywhere we go. 
Here's what I want you to do. If you don't have it, you can order it today. The ebook is also available. The ebook for Carolyn's book is going to be available here shortly, and uh, it's going to be a huge blessing to you. For those of you in other nations that have been asking, how can I get the ebook of Carolyn's new uh, release? It's coming soon. I'm just waiting on the files to come back to me from the company. We're going to upload them. They'll be available in all those nations for you guys. We love you. Listen, do me a favor. My father is on the broadcast today with my cousin Jonathan Shuttlesworth. And so after you jump off from me, go over there and watch and uh, and be with my father and my cousin Jonathan. I love you guys. I'll see you again tomorrow in the morning, 1030 a.m. Have a blessed day. Thank you for sewing. Thanks for getting the book. We love you guys very much. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.